The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We know that over the past number of weeks, we've seen a huge increase in hospital admissions from COVID-19. And as I told you, one of them, um, my mother-in-law, um, thankfully, somehow, she, she beat it declared COVID recovered just a couple of weeks ago. Um, she's still in hospital, but um, this is good news and, and some good news for our family, but it's not good news for a lot of families out there. Uh, we will get today's numbers in about 30 minutes, but as of yesterday, there were 749 people across the province in hospital with COVID-19 and 139 in intensive care. In the Edmonton zone, 418 people are in hospital with COVID and 87 in ICU. The province announced yesterday plans to uh, put up a care centre at the U of A Butter Dome in case the need for beds continues to grow. For those on the front lines, it's not just something they hear about on the news. It's something they are seeing and, and working on and working with every day. Dr. Pre- Peter Brindley works in the intensive care unit at the U of A hospital. He's been keeping us updated and having just some really awesome conversations with us over the past number of months. Dr. Brindley, Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you very, very much, Jalen. I hope everybody's well. I'm very pleased to hear your family news. Yeah, some really good news there. Thank you so much, uh, Peter. Okay, I have to ask, um, are you getting your vaccine? Have you got the vaccine? Are you getting the vaccine? What's going on on that front? Um, Santa is uh, bringing me my early Christmas gift. I'm getting my vaccine tomorrow at about this time. Oh. I'm, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how, how does that feel? I mean, one of the first uh, you know, to get it, and given what you do for a living, I mean, it, it's just got to feel a little bit another, another barrier, another layer of protection um, through all of this. Very well put, yes. I'm going to roll up my sleeve, do the right thing. I'm delighted to get it. A couple of my colleagues have already had it, and many of us will have had it by the end of uh, next week. So it's great. Oh, some good news there. Some good news. It feels it feels like there's a tiny glimmer of hope at the end of all of this, and I know that might be different uh, for you given your job. But Peter, when when we when we hear that news of the Pfizer vaccine being approved, Moderna, hopefully soon, um, d- does is it a glimmer of hope for you as well? well? It's definitely a glimmer of hope. I mean, it's likely the only way out of this too. So absolutely it's a glimmer of hope. I mean, nobody's lost hope at any point during this. We've just soldiered on. But uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, we've got to turn it on. It's it's great news. Give us an idea of what it's like in the ICU right now. I, I rattled off some of those numbers, and I think a lot of those numbers are getting lost on some people because we hear them every day. But um, for someone who is in there, what is it like at the U of A right now? Well, those numbers are absolutely correct. I was looking at my charts as you said them. Um, I mean, rather than just saying, you know, 90 people or 139 people in ICU across the province, we should really say 139 mums or dads or husbands or wives. Um, you know, it's hairy. Those are hairy numbers. Um, we're always very, very careful about keeping things confidential, but I've looked after husbands and wives uh, in the same unit at the same time. I've looked after colleagues of mine's uh, loved ones. You've mentioned yours. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not just raw numbers. Everyone is a is a person, a member of our community, and it's very, very sad. 
You know, there are still still uh, some people out there that are, are saying, okay, well, I mean, there's there's beds, there's you know, we hear these numbers about space, um, I, I, and I and I I, I I feel like we're pounding our heads against the wall in in some case trying to explain the fact that if there are 418 people in Edmonton zone hospitals with COVID, 87 in intensive care, um, that that that's not that they're taking up space, but that's you know, 418 people. Um, you know, maybe compared to last year, obviously, who, who weren't there. And, and the fact is, and we've heard it, you know, babies keep being born, accidents keep happening. Um, and, and, and that's the real challenge, isn't it, is making sure that there's enough beds, enough equipment, and staff. And staff, yeah. And there is clearly a parallel pandemic going on in mental health and despair. Mm-hmm. And, and, and every other disease is continuing, as as you mentioned. So it's, it's 87 got 90 people on top of who would normally be in the ICU, and that's the issue. Um, for example, one of my residents is off sick today, concerned because they have flu-like symptoms, so our service line is down, and because of that, that person's kids are home and quarantined. You know, the knock-on effect is fairly profound. Now, I get it. Most people have never been in an ICU. They don't know what an ICU is. If you look at the raw numbers and you say, well, there's still one bed. What are you worried about? It's not quite that simple. Well, can you explain it? How, why is it not that quite quite that simple? Well, I think you've already said it. It's not that simple because... Uh, we get through resources very quickly. There are there are pending shortages on some of our most common drugs. They haven't run out yet, but they certainly could. And we get sort of daily warnings of, you know, trying to minimize your use of this drug. And this drug ends mm-hmm. up being one of the things you use every single day. Um, and you've got exhausted staff. And you've got, I mean, the biggest thing to bring home is you've got personal stories uh, with every single patient that's brought in. You know, it's we don't just process patients uh, like a factory. These are, these are people we care for. And once you're in the intensive care unit with COVID, you are typically in for quite some time, a week, mm. two weeks. And then after that is the immense recovery. As a medical student, I was taught every day in the ICU is two to three weeks of recovery. So imagine you're in the ICU for two weeks. You've then got months of recovery ahead of you if if you make it. Now, so I don't want to be too stark, but some of the days where we've had capacity in the ICU, it's because the poor previous patient died, and that freed up another bed so we could bring somebody else in. So to, to simply say, well, you've got beds, don't fuss about it. It's, it's not quite that impersonal or simple. What about uh, what about the equipment? I, I know that there was concern or the potential concern about having enough ventilators, that sort of thing. How is that balancing out right now, Dr. Brindley? Yeah, we're managing. We've got enough ventilators. There were even concerns uh, about enough oxygen because one of the mm-hmm. ways you keep people out of the ICU is by running very, very high-flow oxygen. And there were hospitals in the U.K., and elsewhere that ran very dangerously short on oxygen. Now, we preempted that. Uh, I don't believe we have a problem with that, but uh, it's it's been an amazing challenge to the system because you've had to look at every single widget and every single part of healthcare, as I say, from not just staff, not just room, but machines, drugs, people, you, you name it, oxygen in the basement of the hospital, for goodness sake, even the morgues. 
Yeah. Dr. Peter Brindley joining me this afternoon. Um, Dr. Brindley, I, I think, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of firsthand accounts um, through, you know, from your from your colleagues uh, on social media and in news stories and in interviews like this. And, and, we're, and we're lucky to be able to, to hear those stories. We saw that really powerful picture of someone, mm-hmm. uh, one of the doctors uh, recently calling a family to tell them that their loved one had, had passed away. Um, one of the things that um, I, I think that is, is really in, important for folks to, to know is not only are uh, healthcare providers right now, the doctors, nurses, um, you know, everyone who is a part of that team providing the healthcare, uh, the, the physical, like the, the lungs, the, 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 the fever, all of that, but also the mental and, and what I'm going to call the heart care of it all. And, and we know it you know, acutely from having my mom-in-law in hospital now for um, a month and a half, that without those folks, I mean, they're the ones there that are, are holding the hands, that are that are calming, that are guiding, that are providing comfort, who are who are showing them how to s- set up FaceTime so they can FaceTime yep. us. I mean, that to me is 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 something that can't be forgotten in all of this. And I'm not sure if if I don't know they I don't know if they teach you that in school. Or are you expected to have to do that in all of this? We uh, bashed that into our students and trainees, and it was bashed into me, uh, hopefully on a daily basis, despite all the TV medical dramas about these (laughs) ice-cold doctors and nurses. That's not the case at all. So, for example, every time I take over a team, uh, my team knows that within 24 hours I want to know about that person's home life and their personality and what they love and like and why we're doing what we're doing so that we can get them back to that life. So you've you've mentioned a very important point that we go in the rooms every single day, even if you can look through the glass and see the monitors and, and, you know, get much of the blunt medical information off a screen. We always go in to hold that hand to engage with somebody. One of the most interesting medical studies I ever read was about patient satisfaction and headaches. And the number one patient satisfaction uh, was, did the doctor touch my head? Now, we all know that touching a patient's head isn't going to help with their headache, but to me, that study brought home 20 odd years ago the importance of holding a patient's hand touching a patient, making them understand that you're a fellow human being. Very, very difficult through visors, but that's exactly why we go in the rooms all the time because they need that level of life support as well, not just life support from machines. Yeah, you know, when, uh, when my, my and I'm, this is just, I'm, I'm going to, not that I want to keep going back to my mom-in-law, but this was, you know, our first-hand account is that when my mom-in-law was remote, taken out of that COVID ward, one of the nurses got in touch with us and said, please send us color pictures of your family and I will print them all off and put them up and paste them all over her all over her room. And I thought, like, it, 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 it chokes me up just thinking of that, <laughs> that, that they would go that far to do that for us so she felt like she was surrounded by family like I, I will never forget that that is just so important yeah when, and every and I've been a patient in hospital not during COVID but at other times and so many doctors and nurses have we all have a story patients all have a story and it's usually yeah. not you know did they come up with a genius diagnosis everyone has a story of once upon a time the doctor or the nurse pulled the blanket over my feet because they could see they were cold or yeah. they puffed my yeah. pillow one time and and we do actually teach that again stereotypes <laughs> notwithstanding we know that there will be a personal 
moment for every patient. That's why it's been so darn tough where people have sort of brought their loved one to the emergency room and, and literally said goodbye to them in the emergency room as they hand them off and, and thought, God, I hope I see them again in the flash. And yeah. that's where this is so profound. And it isn't just numbers and percentage of beds full. Now, you know, I work in a 28-bed ICU. That is now a 40, 45-bed ICU. And we've also flown um moved over into another ICU and we're about to take over yet another ward and try and turn it into an ICU. So it, it isn't just normal numbers. This really is fairly extraordinary stuff we're doing. Um, what are you expecting over the next couple of weeks, Dr. Brindley? What, what, I mean, I know you don't have a, a crystal ball, but what are you expecting um, your ICU to look like in the, in the coming weeks? I certainly don't have crystal balls, despite the noise I make when I walk. I <laughs> Nobody knows, but nobody expects the numbers to come down. Um, you know, all the graphs show it continuing to go up and or staying at these levels. Mm. So it's going to be a tough Christmas. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your what does your Christmas look like, Dr. Brindley? Well, my Christmas is going to be spent with a very small cohort, i.e. my family. Um, yeah. They're going to allow me to come up from the basement. That'll be very kind of them. Um, and you know what? It's it's going to suck a bit of a, as a Christmas because we can't travel and I won't see my dad. I'll just see him over Zoom. Um, and he lives in town, but but is an older gentleman yeah. and quite rightly is concerned. So I mean, I'm, like like for everyone, it'll it'll be Christmas, but it it it'll be simultaneously very significant for the experiences you do have, and, and a bit sucky for the stuff that you miss out on. But such is life. So you said your family's going to allow you to come up uh, from the basement. Either you've been uh, bad and you're down there, or you've been keeping away from your family during all of this to protect them. Is that the case? It could be a bit from column A and a bit from column B, really, couldn't it? <laughs> I, uh, most doctors or nurses, for that matter, that you talk to have a room in the basement of their, of their homes because of the shift work that we do, because when we're on call, we don't want to wake up the rest of the house. Uh, but a number of us have moved into our guest rooms, and we still see our families and we still spend time yeah. with our families but but we're trying to avoid over contact with the rest of our families trying to limit it um yeah. dr brinley i sure appreciate um your your insight and the time that you've taken to talk to us over the past uh, nine months and um I, I'm, I'm gonna wish you um as as lovely as a christmas as it can be as you um juggle uh, family and and your work and those numbers that you expect to stay you know, at about the same over the over the coming weeks. Our fingers are crossed that these restrictions that have been put in place will will make a a big difference um, in the in the weeks ahead. But we'll be con continuing to watch that. Thank you for everything that you do. Oh, well, just a second, Jalen. Before I ring off, I have to equally send the sincerest possible birthday greetings from the entire ICU. I understand a significant birthday is happening right as we speak. So happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, Jalen. Happy birthday from uh, the entire ICU. 
Well, thank you kindly. Thank you, and, and please, uh, to all of your colleagues, a big thank you for all the work that you've been doing, the hard work um, and the important work that you've been doing. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Best regards to everybody. Bye. Yeah, take care. Dr. Peter Brindley, an intensive care unit at uh, the U of A. Um, uh, he has been kind enough over the past number of months out of that busy schedule to 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 give us updates on the situation and 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 honestly just to have some some real conversation about it as well and uh, and that I um I, I sure can't thank him enough uh, for it so